Good evening. You're listening to the Parliament of Rooks podcast, episode 29. But the show must go on. Welcome back, everyone, to the Parliament of Rooks podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Lanise. And this is his wife, Melanie Lanise. And also, welcome back, you know, to everyone who's listening. You know, I, I know we kept you guys waiting a little while. You know, we told you back in July that we were going to be taking, like, you know, a six to eight week hiatus. And, you know, now we are here in, what, the October. second week of October. <laughs> yeah, our uh, our initial plan was actually um, to just take a, a brief summer break, you know, running up to about, I was planning on, like, September. Yeah, like slightly after Labor Day. Um, but, you know, like, life got in the way, you know, a couple, but for, you know, but for good reasons, you know, like. Um, both of our careers, you know, mm-hmm. have sort of taken a different turn. Um, since last, you know, we sat down to the microphone, you know, just for the benefit of everybody out there. Um, you know, I've gotten a, a new position, um, you know, one that uh, requires me to, to travel a little bit less, you know, so that's good, you know, because I'm home a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, it actually requires me to be in the office a little more. Yeah. So like the, you know, hours I would have, you know, at home to like, you know, work on this and do all the editing or whatever. That's just, you know, a, a thing of the past. Right. Um, but more importantly, you know, and, you know, congratulations to you. Uh, what is, uh, you know, what's new going on in the world of Melanie? Well, I've assumed a new position with the Society for Oncology Massage. I'm the representative in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And also my work has um, taken a turn to focus more toward hospice. So that's been taking up some of my time as well. Yeah. So basically between like, you know, my availability and and you know and, and yours yeah <laughs> like to find that you know sort of intersection where we can both sit down and record you know has, has been a little Challenging. tricky yeah. yeah so you know we're kicking off you know our our second go round of this podcast and you know hopefully you know we're going to be able to you know deliver consistent content but i don't know necessarily that the uh, the weekly release you know that we were able to do first go round is going to be you know a realistic projection i think we'll still shoot for that yeah we'll you, feel it out yeah but um, you know if we miss a week or whatever you know just go easy on us um one good thing you know that's coming out of our hiatus is you know during that period we did get a new microphone mm-hmm. so yes. hopefully some of those you know growing pains we had during you know our, our first you know however many episodes there we had all that echoey sound and yeah. that type thing you know maybe that'll be remedied by this you know although i don't know this is our first time even using it so i guess time <laughs> will tell when we publish this and people are like you sounded better before <laughs> um, let's see what else. What else happened during our? Oh, I know what else happened. Yeah. Is uh, our unofficial third member of the show. Um, you know, our our little dog Pippin. You know that we mentioned from time little to time. Furry son. You can sometimes hear him like howling in the back. He uh-huh. had his uh, his fourteenth birthday. His fourteenth birthday. So everybody wish Pippin a big happy birthday. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so. So before we get into the the meat, you know, of uh, of today's show, you know, our, our big, you know, return to to prominence here, you know, I thought we should um, pause for a moment, you know, because you have been away from the material for a while, and uh, you know, basically, sort of like take a look back. You know, we did twenty eight episodes, you know, first time around, and we were focused, you know, on the uh, the Silver Age mm-hmm. of DC Comics magic. Right. Um, so I just want to sort of like, you know, poll you because, like I said, it was all new material or whatever. And I just wanted to see, you know, like, you know, how much you remember before we kick off, you know, our, our Bronze Age. So it's like a pop quiz. <laughs> pop quiz, exactly. So, you know, going back to, you know, the episodes we recorded, you know, what sticks out in your mind as, you know, things that, that you remember? I guess probably the characters more than anything else. 
Like the superheroes? Yeah, because going into that, you were actually familiar with a lot of them because, you know, you growing I used to watch up, them on television. seen Super Friends and stuff like that. Right. So using that then as a launching point, you know, for what we covered, you know, what would sort of then be, you know, the, the corresponding hub that, you know, like characterized a lot of the episodes that we did. The Justice League. Justice League, exactly. Um, so I'm put it over to you. What do you remember about the Justice League stories we covered? Um... So I remember feeling like uh, like they were geared toward a younger audience, like little kitty stories. Yeah, like little kitty stories. Yeah, you know, and which which makes sense because you know if I was watching them on television, then it would have been geared toward me, um, but probably actually even like with a skew toward little boys yeah, instead. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I remember um, I remember how like they used to like pair up into teams. Yeah, they would always, like, have their mission and, like, the three-parter, like, you two go do this, you two go do this, and you three. Right. Yeah. 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 And so. then they would each conquer a part of whatever problem they were confronting, and then they would all come back and and evil would be vanquished. Right. So very, like, sort of formulaic type thing. Oh, yeah. Um, on that front, you know, since we're talking about breaking up into teams, any characters stick out at you? Like, you know, do you have your favorites or any of the characters you remember? I know, like, a lot of them were new to you. But, you know, did anybody, like, jump out as, like, oh, this is something, you know, that might interest me? Uh, Spectre, probably. The Spectre? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear you say that, you know, because <laughs> given the fact that, you know, Parliament of Rooks is, you know, a magic-centric show, you know, Spectre is certainly going to be somebody that, um, you know, we're, we're going to see going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, along those lines, you know, you, so Spectre, you know, you're talking in terms of JLA, but he was obviously a member of the JSA. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember his uh, sort of cohort? Yeah, know? Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate, exactly. Um, I don't know necessarily that we're going to see um, tons and tons of Dr. Fate in this early part of the Bronze Age we're covering, but he's going to be a huge magic character. Is, you know, we go forward, you know, deeper, deeper into the show. Um, so, yeah, like, you know, that was our sort of first wave of stories we covered were those superhero-y type things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember any other little, like, you know, segments that, uh, you know, genres, I guess you could say, that, that we covered? The humor. Humor, right. And uh, who uh, who characterized, you know, that, the, the sort of Murray Boltonoff, you know, family of characters. You know, who do you remember? Stanley and his monster. Stanley and his monster, exactly. Um, we're going to touch a little bit on Stanley, um, you know, in this part, but I think, um, because we're going to be, you know, a little more serious stories, you know, we're going to see less and less of that as, as we go on. Um, so yeah, superhero we did, uh, humor. And then there was a third genre that we kind of loosely characterized as like, you know, weird type characters, you know, it is House of Secrets, House of Mystery. Mm-hmm. Do you remember any of that? I know one of them was your favorite. Mm-hmm. Mark Merlin. Mark Merlin, exactly. And then also, you know, he had his, um, his partner in that book, you know, Eclipso mm. that <laughs> we did, we didn't like so much. And I remember him too. <laughs> so, so yeah, I would say those were basically the three currents, you know, uh, of types of stories that we had, you know, um, coming in, you know, weaving in and out through the R Silver Age coverage. Um, Apart from, you know, the actual stories we're reading, you know, the characters themselves or whatever, um, you already mentioned, you know, that you thought it was geared more toward, a, you know, a younger audience. And certainly, you know, like we were saying, the audience for that was, you know, like age 8 to 12. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, did any, like, you know, themes jump out of you? You know, we were covering the, the years like 61 through what, like early 67. Mm-hmm. Um, any overarching, like, you know, things jumped out of you, you know, as far as like, um, you know, what informed the overall stories? Well, I guess there was a strong emphasis on family values, like a good, strong family structure, you know, like with a mom and a dad and kids. Um, and 
And women also had yet to come into power. Yeah, right. So many of those, like, lady characters we saw, like, you know, Mo- Mona Honey and, like, like yeah. what was it? Mark Mur- Oh, Elsa, right? Yeah. You know, Mark, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I, th- I think both of those things you're saying, though, like, so the, you know, the underpower of, of women, but then also, you know, the sort of nuclear family, you know, those were, like, residual things from, like, the Eisenhower era, you know, basically, mm-hmm. you know, happy days of America. Um, but as we had talked about a little bit, you know, during our first, you know, 28 episodes there or whatever, things were rapidly changing, you know, JFK getting assassinated and, you know, the sort of rise of like, you know, a youth movement or whatever. Mm-hmm. A lot of what was being, you know, portrayed, you know, in those comics wasn't necessarily, you know, indicative of, you know, what was going on out in the world. And I think so for our next wave, I think we're definitely going to see, you know, a, a lot of that. You know, we talked before about Marvel, how they had really tapped into that market. Yeah. Yeah. DC is going to try to get some of that juice. Um, third thing I want to say, though, before transitioning to what we are going to talk about is, you know, like in the era that we did cover, um, any creators. You're, and this is going to be a little bit harder, you know, because obviously, you know, like the character names jump out at you. But like, for instance, I said, you know, with regard to like the humor line, you know, that was overseen by like Murray Boltonoff. Do you happen to remember the guy? And we talked in terms of like, he was a, an old sci-fi dude, but he oversaw like, you know, Flash and Green Lantern and um, uh, Justice League. Do you remember that editor? Was that um, Julie? Julia Schwartz. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Okay. So yeah, so Julia Schwartz. And then another sort of big edit, we, we didn't touch on him much, but like, you know, I said that he was the... Um, the guy in charge of like all the Superman things. Do you remember who that was? Yes. Who? Um, Mort Weisinger. Mort Weisinger. Very yeah. good. Yeah. I don't know why that stuck with me, but it did. People don't seldomly, you know, forget Mort, you know, once, <laughs> once they hear about him. So, yeah. So those three, um, you know, coming into the Bronze Age, Julie is still going to be, you know, a force to, you know, uh, to be reckoned with or whatever. He's still going to be a force, you know, in the comics we're reading. Mort Weisinger, a little bit less so. I think mm-hmm. we're coming right up on the time when, um, when Mort's going to be retiring. Um, so that's editorially. Uh, writers, uh, do you remember anybody? I mean, probably Zany Haney, you remember? Yeah, certainly, yeah, with this Earth B. Earth B, very yeah. good. Oh, see, this is cool. I was, I was afraid that, you know, because with such a long gap, you know, you wouldn't remember any of this stuff. No, I remember but, that. Yeah. And then, um, and then do you remember the, the, the main, the main writer yeah. that we talked about? Gardner Fox. Gardner Fox, very good. Yeah. Um, and then, so that's writers, uh, artists. Do you, anybody, like, that's probably a little bit trickier. Sikowski? Mike Sikowski. Okay, good. Was the JLA guy. Um, let's see. I'm going to try to give you a hint. Um, circles. Does that mean anything to you? Do you remember that guy? No. Right. Okay, so he was in the showcase and like very sort of like golden age informed art. Uh, Murphy Anderson. Do you remember? I remember the name, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. So Murphy Anderson. And now I'm remembering his artwork. Yeah. And then I, I don't think we had, you know, tons and tons of other guys that were created. Like Wynn Mortimer, I know, did the Stanley's Monster thing. We talked about Bob Oxner a little bit. Yeah. Um, the so, cheesecake stuff. Yeah. So these guys, I, you know, I think we're going to see, once again, less of them because so too, as our writing styles are going to mature, the artistic styles are going to mature as well. Uh, Mike Sikowski, actually, a little bit deeper into this wave, we'll see some of his writing efforts and editorially but i think from an art perspective you know a little bit less than that uh murphy anderson probably not so much you know he at this point i think you know goes more to the superman side of the house and because we're magic centric we're not going to focus so much on that okay um so with that in mind i mean i guess it's time to tell you what we are going to talk about okay um so we chronologically like i say and going up to about early 1967 
And this is just about the time that, like I say, in DC Comics, everything's going to shift. You know, we'd seen glimmers of that with the the sort of go-go check era. You know, they were trying to, like, tap into, like, the teen mm-hmm. market or whatever. Um, but this, you know, is going to be almost a, a revolution, you know, with regard to DC. A lot of those older creators we talked about are, you know, and, and we hinted in this, actually, in our, our first half. But a couple episodes out, we're going to talk about a sort of, like, creative purge that occurred at DC. Mm. There was a uh, an internal movement where a lot of these like you know older creators you know getting up there in Asia or whatever and started thinking about things in terms of like you know benefits and healthcare or whatever and came very very close to unionizing and management shut it right down and used that as an opportunity to basically clean house of a lot of these guys oh. you know yeah it's a very very you know sad time at DC and so we'll get more into that as we go deeper into the show but you know so it's it's a horrible thing or whatever but it, what it did do is open the doors to a lot of younger creators, mm-hmm. you know. So during this era, we're going to see a couple big names, um, you know, editorially that are that are going to be uh, prominent for our next wave. Um, that are going to be people like Dick, uh, Dick Giordano, mm-hmm. who um, I think I mentioned very very briefly a company called Charlton Comics, and we'll talk more about this, you know, when we get into him. But uh, but yeah, Dick Giordano came over from that, and with him brought like a stable of artists and writers who are really going to change the face of DC. And then a, um, a second dude who's going to become more important probably about midway through this wave of our show is an editor by the name of Joe Orlando, who's really going to completely revamp the uh, the DC horror line. Um, a lot of those you know titles that we've talked about thus far, House of Secrets and House of Mystery, mm-hmm. have only been kind of like, you know, touching on the weird. They're going to go full bore horror, you know, like Haunted House and Monsters and all that. So, you know, it's really going to ramp up, you know, as far as our show is concerned. Um thematically you know so i said you know the marvelization you know of of dc um so what is that going to mean you know basically we talked before about how you know people like stan lee and steve ditko you know jack kirby you know were sort of appealing to that um that youth market you know of of a collegiate age you know Mm. tapping into a lot of you know like you know eastern philosophy and like psychology and stuff like that so dc is not going to go like super deep into that they're they're not going to go you know as far as marvel went but they are definitely going to try to you know appeal to that audience you know um by increasing their their relevancy Mm -hmm. you know um a couple times i've mentioned you know a uh, an acclaimed run on uh Green Lantern, you know, where he and Green Arrow sort of get rid of their costumes and, like, head out and, you know, find America. You know, it's called Hard Traveling (laughs) Heroes. That's sort of like the the poster child for DC relevancy. Um, We are not... We might read a story from that or whatever just to, like, you know, introduce you to the way DC was handling this. But um, because it's not magic, we're not going to go too, too deep into it. Uh, But some of the things that we are going to touch on, you know, are... um, almost like satellite, you know, to that, you know, um, different titles, you know, tried to take that as an example and make their titles more relevant, you know, so uh, like Teen Titans, for instance, you know, you'd think like, okay, Robin and all these sort of junior heroes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So they kind of use that as a a proving ground, you know, for some of these ideas, you know, uh, teen primacy, you know, the introduction of hippies. Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, summer love and all that. And what it really means from a societal standpoint, you know, as like all of a sudden this younger generation is finding its voice against those who have, you know, maybe like, you know, betrayed their youthful ideals. You know, it's like always that youth and rebellion type thing, (laughs) you know. 
Um, so, and now because a lot of these things, you know, are, are sort of like pushing the boundaries, you know, of what we had uh, talked about early on our show, the, the mm -hmm. comics code, right. you know, you're going to see that loosening up a, a little bit, you know, like what does it really mean? What are we trying to teach our kids? Are we sheltering them? You know, so on and so forth. So yeah, around the boundaries of that, that's going to get pushed a little bit. You know, you'll see it relaxing as like things like drugs, you know, start being referenced in these Ooh. stories. I know. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe, um, not necessarily like, you know, corruption of the police force, but maybe a questioning of that authority, you know, our politicians, our police, that type thing. Um, women, you know, you've mentioned that or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, obviously the sexual revolution was ongoing at that time. So we're definitely going to see more em empowered women. I talked about Sikowski, you know, in his writing and editorial. Mm -hmm. One of the huge things that he was involved in was basically, a, and I think you may remember this. Did I, do you remember when I said Wonder Woman? during yeah. this era becomes depowered and has to like learn judo and become more self-sufficient. Right. Yeah. Sikowski has like a, you know, a huge hand in that. Um, let's see. Hey, but maybe, you know, I, I was trying to like think thematically, you know, but we'll see that as we get into the stories or whatever. I think maybe a good thing to do at this point would be like give a preview of the characters that we're going to be talking about, you know, okay. as we go into this. Um, so I mentioned it about a hundred times, yeah. you know, in, in our last, you know, uh, segment of show or whatever as to who our first character is. And given the fact that you have the book sitting right yeah. in front of you, who is, I know uh, who it is. Yeah, who's our, our very first, you know, quote unquote, bronze age character. Is it, could it be dead man? Dead man. Exactly. <laughs> Mr. Boston Brand, you know, he's, he's my own personal favorite. Cause it's sort of like marrying, you know, that, that film noir and superhero. So yeah, I totally dig dead man. And, um, I'm going to use dead man basically as the, um, I guess the the uh, the framework on which this you know volume of our show you know sits. We talked before about um, in publishing how comics used to have like you know volume one and then volume two. Mm -hmm. I'm almost like informally considering this to be volume two of our show. We're going to cover you know um, mid 1967 through 69, and the story of Dead Man. You know because it's a continuing narrative arc. I'm going to sort of weave that in and out. You know of this. You know maybe we'll do another like. 25 30 episodes you know in this volume and 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 like i say you know we'll start with dead man we'll end with dead man and then mm -hmm. peppered throughout you know we'll do that um weaving in and out of that a character you said you liked before you know the uh, the specter yeah, exactly he um after those couple tryouts we saw in showcase during this era he's actually going to get his solo title and um you know different things happen to him i think you know it, it's a, a little inconsistent because it went through several different um, creative hands artistically and, and from a writing perspective. So we'll take a look at that. I, I don't know that we're going to read every, um, you know, issue of Spectre Solo series, but just enough to get a flavor of what they were trying to do with the character. Okay. Um, so I mentioned um, teen stuff. So we are going to take a look at a couple Teen Titans stories. Um, they're not super, super magic, but I, I you know, I, I do want to um, look at a character called the Gargoyle. It's actually a, a personal favorite story of mine. And, uh, and then... Mixed in with the Teen Titans are two new teen characters that are being introduced. Um, Steve Ditko, who I said, you know, uh, created Spider-Man and mm -hmm. uh, um, Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. Over at DC, when he finally came over, created a, a pair of teen heroes called the uh, the Hawk and the Dove, mm -hmm. which um, they... Uh, Kind of like loosely affiliated with the Teen Titans, they'll like you know they'll they'll team up with them from time to time. But I don't think they were official members. Um, but what they are basically is um, metaphors, I guess, for political ideals during the Vietnam War. I don't know if you know this, but uh, a hawk and a dove. But a hawk would have like the more 
like a, an overseeing kind of view and the dove would be like the more peacekeeping kind of one. Yeah, yeah, at a high level. Um, but like, but specifically, like during the Vietnam era, that was what, you know, it, your political views were characterized as. You know, the country was divided into hawks and doves. Those that oh. took like a more aggressive, you know, standpoint to, you know, our position in Vietnam and those who were more like, you know, no, we shouldn't be there. What, you know, what. Right. so Steve Ditko basically personified this in a pair of teen heroes who are, you know, for good for us, magic-based. So we're, we're definitely going to take a look at that. Um, a character who, at least initially, is not magic-based, but because later on he does have some connections to the Swamp thing, I did want to address, in very, very short run, there's only two issues of it, is a totally weird character called uh, Brother Power the Geek. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, And you'll see when we get there or whatever, but it's, it's so bizarre. It's like... Um, He's a ragdoll who is granted life through some sort of weird chemicals and lightning and blah, 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 blah. But basically is like, you know, the uh, the hero of the hippies. Like they take him in or whatever. And yeah, you'll, you'll see. It's right. so, so bizarre. But then like later on, and, and this is why we're covering it, it turns out that he's actually an elemental similar to Swamp Thing. So okay. yeah, we'll at least take a look at that because I think more so than a lot of things, it totally captures the flavor of this era. Um we mentioned before the Spectre, you know, how he was an older character. We're going to see the revival of a couple other older characters, but um, not necessarily Golden Age. Um, there was a, a trio of characters that were popular in the, um, in the 50s, but after the code came out, they were immediately, like, shut down. Um, but since now the codes are relaxing, DC used this as, like, an opportunity to, like, revive some of their, like, earlier, like, supernatural characters. Um, the big one, and probably, you know, we've talked before about who are the biggest magic characters in DC. Mm -hmm. So probably the biggest revival that we're going to see is a guy by the name of the Phantom Stranger. Okay. Yeah, and we saw him actually when we looked at um, New Frontier. He was one of the guys up on the moon. <laughs> I don't know if you remember. It was a tiny, tiny little segment. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. But you'll see. Phantom Stranger becomes a, a pivotal character, you know, in in the DC universe. And, uh, and acting as a counterpoint to him is this fellow by the name of Dr. 13, mm -hmm. who, once again, I think I've mentioned to you yep. briefly, is like the skeptic character. Yeah. So these two, you know, are revived and, and, you know, sort of back and forth, you know, debate as to, you know, whether, you know, magic is real or not. And then a third character, somewhat obscure, you know, sort of in the, um, the Mark Merlin tradition of, you know, DC Obscura, is a fellow by the name of Johnny Peril, mm -hmm. which... Um, he, I think, actually, I think he might have been a Golden Age character initially, but um, they keep trying to revive him. And every time they revive him, he's got, like, a different story. So when we get into this, you'll see, like, you know, and I'll let you form your own judgments, but me particularly, I deplore this character. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just because he's so inconsistent. But we'll see. Like, that's a couple weeks out or whatever, you know, and you can draw your own conclusions on, on Mr. Peril. Um, we talked about the... Um, uh, Joe Orlando, you know, editorial line over like House of Secrets, House of Mystery. Um, well, as part of that, you know, revamping, each one of those is um, the houses, you know, mm -hmm. are going to become real things, each with their affiliated uh, caretaker. Um, and when I say these names, I hope you'll get excited because House of Secrets is overseen by a fellow named Abel and House of Mystery is overseen by a fellow named Kane. So our namesake. Exactly, right? Hey. <laughs> so, you know, and the, for any new listeners or whatever, yeah, our our name, Parliament of Rooks, comes from a reference from uh, Sandman. It's about a story told by Kane, you know, the uh, proprietor of the House of Mystery. So, yeah, when we get into that, you know, you'll get to meet these characters and Good. hopefully you dig them. And then finally, the uh, the last character that um, we're going to cover, kind of a, a standalone thing. We'll, uh, we'll loop back to Showcase and... Um, 
this is slightly different like flavor of magic you know um and probably something you would like because i know your own tastes lead lean toward uh, like fantasy yeah you know like you know merlin and like um you know, lord of the rings and all that mm -hmm. so Nightmaster, you know is a character we'll take a look at who um just a regular dude he's actually i think he's a bartender and, uh, I like him already. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, somehow he gets sucked into like a portal and winds up like almost like in a Lord of the Rings type place. You know, he's got to deal with like dragons and this and that, you know, like elves <laughs> and all this or whatever. Short-lived title. And, and like I say, I think there's maybe three issues in Showcase, but we'll uh, we'll delve into that. Beyond that, actually, you know, if we want to step outside of, you know, the uh, chronological progression of, uh, you know, the magic in, in DC Comics, there are a couple, you know, special episodes we have coming up, um, you know, like I say, we're running behind schedule or whatever. I was hoping to get out by Labor Day. But given the fact that we are in mid-October, I think we would be remiss if we didn't do a Halloween episode. Mm -hmm, yeah. So I kind of want to use that as a uh, spotlight for, um, a, you know, a cute little strip that I've mentioned from time to time. Um, Sugar and Spike, an old creator by the name of uh, Sheldon Mayer, who had done like the uh, the Red Tornado and Scribbly and that type thing, had a uh, almost like pre-Rugrats baby strip. And okay. every year they would have a uh, Halloween issue, you uh -huh. know, where the baby's getting about. So at that for Halloween, maybe we could touch base on that. And, and actually maybe do a couple other little humor things. We talked about um, Swing with Scooter and how there's like, you know, maybe some vampiric and haunted house, you know, stuff there. Okay. So yeah, so for Halloween, let's say, uh, you know, take it a little lighter. And then the week after Halloween, actually, we've got a couple, you know, of our listeners have asked us if we would cover the... Um, Doctor Strange. The Doctor Strange movie, exactly. So, yes, we'll go out that weekend. We'll watch Doctor Strange and, you know, come back on, on Monday with our, uh, you know, opinions. Even though, like, honestly, from a comics perspective, I'm almost completely unfamiliar with the character. <laughs> like, I, I know vaguely, like, you know, like, you know, uh, Ditko and, and Lee, you know, created him and, you know, how he appealed to, like, the college crowd. But, like, from a background perspective, I, I don't know anything about, you know the character or you know like any of his <laughs> villains or anything like that so yeah it'll be a learning experience you know we'll go and get familiar with uh dr stephen strange and Good. you know yeah that'll be uh, an addition to our knowledge um but something that's not you know something that i am quite knowledgeable about is the uh, trials and travails of mr boston brand you know dead man himself um, so with that in mind, do you want to, uh, you know, kick off our volume two here with the uh, who he is and how he came to be of Dead Man? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So uh, we're going to do this from two different perspectives. Um, you know, I'm going to be reading this, you know, from the original comic while, um, you know, Melanie is going to be following along at my side in uh, the hardcover Dead Man collection. This came out, I, I think, I want to say like in the mid 90s. It's actually quite a nice volume. It's a... Uh, you know, sort of slipcase, you know, hardcover collection of all Neil Adams' Dead Man stories. You know, both the initial arc that we're going to be covering in Strange Adventure, um, but then some, like, follow-on tales. I think there's a, a three-part Aquaman story, and uh, maybe maybe Challenger of the Unknown is in here as well. Um, but nevertheless, you know, at least these Strange Adventure stories, you know, uh, the first of which we are going to uh, start with tonight. Okay. Okay, so normally, um, you know, what we've been doing when we cover these stories is, you know, I'll give you a little bit of background, I guess, you know, on the creation of the character and a little bit of background, you know, on the creators themselves, the writers and the artists or whatever. Um, but I think what I want to do with this one, um, just because it's a kind of a powerful tale, is just, you know, read it right out, let you, you know, form an opinion or whatever, and then loop back and I'll give you the background as to, you know, what informed it. There's a, there's actually quite a nice um, preface in the, uh, in the book that you have there, mm -hmm. um, written by uh, the guy who wrote the original story, actually, uh, Arnold Drake, about the creation of the character. 
And um, and you would know Arnold Drake, you know, from... Um, Druckmann. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Was it Druckmann or mm-hmm. Arnold Druckmann? Yeah, Druckmann, exactly. Druckmann. Um, but uh, you know him as the uh, the creator of Stan Lee's Monster. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mentioned also he was, um, along with Bob Haney, came up with the Doom Patrol. So this would be probably his third major creation. And uh, he doesn't stay with it very long. In fact, I think just the initial story is uh, is arnold drake i think in very short order it's uh, taken over by um, a couple different writers but then eventually neil adams will be the uh, the name that we most associate with this from both a writing and art perspective um but as i say at least for the uh, the initial one it's uh drake so um so the first story is from strange adventures number 205 called uh, who's been lying in my grave and uh, like i say Written by Arnold Drake um, with pencils by Carmine Infantino, mm. which is quite nice. Yeah, this is like probably one of my uh, my favorite bits of um, you know late Silver Age, early Bronze Age Carmine Infantino. There's a couple really really nice shots in it, and uh, inks by George Rousseau. Uh, letters by our old friend uh, Ira Schnapp. Mm-hmm. Um, so first things first, uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the cover. Um, the words so looking at comics.org or whatever the uh, the text even on the cover also written by Drake. And but the layout itself, this you know the the design that you see here was laid out by Arnold Drake for Carmine Infantino to actually do the art over, uh, also inked by George Rousseau, and then the letters on the cover as well, uh, Irish Knapp, who I wonder whether he did the um, the Dead Man logo. We see um, you know here at the the bottom of the issue, you know, introducing Dead Man, and you see the very sort of like you know stylized you know uh, dead man logo with this sort of like you know drippy eerie letters with his little face popping out mm-hmm. i wonder whether that's uh, some schnapp work there um but what we see you know is uh, is our hero boston brand in his uh, dead man costume and obviously the scene here is is a circus you know dead man is dressed in um you know body length leotard you know with a very high collar and uh and almost like a, a full and not even a full face mask a full head and upper chest mask you know covers him you know this is a his sort of stylized circus costume i guess it would be kind of hard to operate in yeah but uh you know but we'll go with the conceit and uh and what we see you know is you know dead man apparently is a a circus aerialist you know mm-hmm. he's swinging from the trapeze um but you know across the panel you know we see a, a gunshot ringing out toward him as our uh, cover text reads this man who was just murdered is our hero his story begins one minute later, introducing Dead Man. So, very, very sort of stark, and as I say, Strange Adventures, one of the strangest. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and crack this open, or, you know, for your purposes, you know, turn the page. As uh, unfortunately, you know, in the collected edition, what you're not seeing is my inside cover here, which is, you know, a classic of 1960s comics or whatever, the mm-hmm. sort of like novelty type things. You know, we got a full page full of, you know, different things you can mail away for. You know, you got the X-ray specs and, you know, uh, you got Joy Buzzer up here, you know, Secret Spy Telescope or whatever, Boomerang, just, you know, tons of things to, you know, rip kids off <laughs> with their <Yeah>. money. <laughs> just like a bunch of nonsense. Um, so let's go ahead and begin our story uh, with who has been lying in my grave. As our narration says, who is this fantastic figure, this eerie emanation who stands surveying his own burial rites? What evil was it that thrust him past the threshold of death? And how can we still see his ghastly guise? Now, learn the nerve-shattering secret behind the most astounding character in the history of comics, Dead Man. As we see, you know, our, our aerialist from the cover 
you know, talking directly to us as he's, you know, pointing to his open grave and we see, you know, a, a crowd gathered, you know, clearly circus folk, you know, we see a mm-hmm. sort of like Indian swami and it looks like a strong man and a clown there as a, and a know, fat lady and a fat lady, right. As a, as dead man says, I'm Boston brand or I was until one of these people, as he points to the crowd, one pure and noble soul killed me. But Ramakushna has given me the power to move among the living until I find my murderer. And I will find him, even if it takes until eternity. Script by Arnold Drake. Ooh, that's a that's a rarity to see somebody you know with credit in a, you know nineteen mm-hmm, sixties yeah. comic. Uh, so let's turn our page and and find out you know what this guy's talking about. As, uh, as we turn the page and see you know a, an old timey like you know circus scene here you know with clowns and strongmen and lions and tigers and bears. And oh my! <laughs> the circus is coming, says our narration. Once, that cry thrilled every city, town, and hamlet through which it rang, but no more. Movies killed the circus, and TV buried it, nearly. Only two things have kept the big top barely alive, a small but devoted audience of shrieking kids, and men like Boston Brand. But what drives a man like Brand? Or what did drive him before a thirty caliber bullet ended the trip? <laughs> it's very, you know, it's a very film noir, mm-hmm. certainly setting a scene. As, uh, as we cut inside the circus, you know, and we see our, our hero here, you know, Mr. Brand, you know, getting ready as, uh, as a female, you know, the, the owner of the circus, as we will soon find out, you know, comes in, you know, Brand, shirtless, you know, looks up at her and says, look, Lona, this is no time to talk business. I go on in 15 minutes and I'm still not made up. I'm sorry, Boston, says uh, Lorna coming in, but that banknote comes due tomorrow at noon and I'm not going to be able to meet it. The show will go under. Forget it. I got your postponement. Sixty days, says Brand. Oh, Boston, says Lorna, and giving him a little hug. You're marvelous. The things you've done for me since Dad died. Hold it, Miss Goosebumps. I haven't done anything for you. Your dad left me twenty bits of this flea-bitten's outfit when he died, and that's who I'd done it for. Me. M.E. Ah, uh, you don't fool me with that tough guy act, Boston, she says as, you know, Boston begins putting on his mask. Who said it's an act? I know Ringling Brothers offered you five times what you make here, and you turned them down. I don't like that fat man, says Boston. He's got disgusting eating habits. Why do you try to kid everybody, says Lona, and yourself, pretending to be the tough guy? Pretending? Listen, sweetheart, it's time you understood something. Circus people are like children, sick, dangerous children. Running it is like conducting a kindergarten where every kid's got a machine gun under his desk. As he spins around, you know, a mask finally fitted over his head. Mm-hmm. A death's head. Stop it, Boston, says Lorna. I can't stand it when you talk that way and look that way. That costume and makeup. Get used to it, says Brand. Professional fink and brilliant trapeze artist. Dead man. As, uh, you know, even behind her, we see all the, uh, you know, placards and playbills from, like, you know, sold-out shows in the past. A, a European tour. Really? Mm-hmm. This flea-bitten circus? Oh, maybe, I was going to say, maybe this flea-bitten circus went on a European tour, but maybe he, as the act, you know, was yeah, with a different circus at some point. That's what I would assume. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's continue. Um, you know, as as Boston continues, you know, his uh, brow-beating, I guess, of, of Lorna, you know. A trapeze act has one marvelous attraction. Ten minutes, Mr. Boston, as, you know, in the background we hear a big banging on the door. Shut up, Tiny, says uh, Boston, spinning around. As I was saying, he continues to learn, the dumb Johns pay their money to say one thing. I said shut up, Tiny, as you hear bang, bang, bang on the door. They're here to see me die. 
They're hoping that the night they come is the night that's going to happen. Tiny, cut it out, you idiot. As we go, bang, bang, bang on the door. And we see actually beginning to bow as, you know, suddenly mm. it just cracks open. And the uh, the circus strongman, you know, Tiny, comes uh, crashing through the door. Don't call me no names, Mr. Boston, says, you know, a big cauliflowered eared, you know, brood of a dude. <laughs> You've done it again, you moron. You turned another door into toothpicks. I don't care if them other people call me names, but not you, says Tiny to Boston. Ah, what's the use of talking to you, says Boston as he, you know, exits the tent, you know, walking away. It's like trying to play chess with a chimpanzee. See you after the show. And as he, you know, when he walks away, Tiny says, Why does he do that, Miss Lorna? He's not bad like the others, so, so how come he makes fun of me? It's because he likes you, and a man who's imitating a rock can't afford to like anybody. Huh? Says Tiny, you know, scratching his head. <laughs> so... So we cut outside, you know, as we see a sort of scene going on, um, you know, nice shadowy background. We see all the uh, the playbills of, you know, the uh, Hill Brothers Circus attraction, you know, Tiny, who we just met, the world's strongest man. Uh, we can't read it there, the word balloons blocking it, but that's uh, Lena, the fat woman, you know, a whale of a woman. Uh, Major Might, who's not going to be very important in this arc, but later on becomes very important, the uh, the mightiest midget. And Vashnu, wise man of the East, who it looks as though, you know, is standing right there talking mm-hmm. to a, a law enforcement officer. So it's an eavesdrop on their conversation as we, okay. see, <laughs> as we see, you know, Vashnu. You have no right to do this, Constable. I got all the right I need. Says, you know, stereotypical <laughs> lawman. Section 113 of the penal code. No fortune tellers allowed. Now, now get going, Confucius. Hold it, lawman. Let me see, uh, you know, Boston Brand's feet pedaling up. Vashnu's no fortune teller. He's a he's a character analysis. It's the same thing to me, handsome. There's a cop to a uh, dead man. Not quite. If I told you that uh, booking him tonight would get you charged with false arrest tomorrow, that'd be fortune telling. But if I said you're a stupid excuse for a cop, now that, that'd be character analysis. All right, wise guy, you just watch it. I got my eye on this whole show. You'll be seeing me around. There's, uh, you know, the cop heads off into the night. You know, and Vashnu, you know, heads back into his tent, you know, gesturing Boston Brand to follow. One thousand thanks, sir. You are very kind, Mr. Brand. But then you can afford to be. Huh? As I've told you before, Ramakushna watches over your fate. I've read this in your eyes. Yeah, says Boston. Well, we'll see if you can get that six-armed dame to watch over the box office. Business stinks. As, uh, you know, we see Boston coming in and... You know, we see a statue of a, you know, six-armed, you know, apparently like Indian deity, you know, sort of Shiva-esque. But uh, as we will soon learn, this is the, the Ramakushna of which Vashnu speaks. So, so we turn our pages, you know, Vashnu continues. You do not understand. Ramakushna is the face of the universe. In a tiny apple is enough atomic power to explode the world. That is Ramakushna. A single raindrop may hold more microscopic life than there are people on Earth. And that, yeah, that's our old friend Rama too, says Boston. So what? So, says Vashnu in a big close-up, you know, of his Mm. eye. Very intense. You have been chosen. Ramakushna has some special gift waiting for you alone. And one day, when you least expect it, it shall be yours. Ah, save that jazz for the dumb johns of the community, Vashnu. And, uh, you know, Boston splits. Always he scoffs, says Vashnu, watching him walk away. He has no gods, no faith, no shelter. That makes him a fool. Now, Vashnu, says Lorna, coming up on the side, that makes him the loneliest man alive. <laughs> Lorna's just like trailing him behind. Yeah. You know, it's like a trail of like, you know, like pathos. 
you know, so next we see, you know, Boston happen across, you know, some dude looks like, you know, hitting the bottle and like, you know, German yodpers or something or jodpers, right? Those pants with the flared sides, mm-hmm. you know, hold it, Heinrich, hold it one loving minute, says Boston. Nope, says this, uh, this dude. I told you if I caught you boozing again before you walked into the cat cage, I'd knock you down. Oh, says uh, Heinrich as, you know, Boston gives him a splat across the chin. I'll get you for this brand, says uh, says Heinrich, you know, on the ground. Oh, you'll get your final pay envelope. Collect it tonight after the show. And don't let me catch you around here again, ever. This is uh, the next guy he lays into. Apparently, he's a ticket taker. Hey, Larry, you should, shouldn't you be out front giving your spiel? You're a barker, not a ticket taker. Yeah, I, uh, I, I know, boss, but uh, Gertrude was sick, so I had to sell tickets again for her. Hey, 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 cut that out, he says as, you know, Boston goes for his pocket. Get, get your hand out of my pocket. Okay, says Boston, but uh, leave some money for us. I didn't mind when you used to steal half the take, but now you're taking it all. He says, you know, pulling a wad of bills out of this wow. dude's pocket. Yeah. You're a good pitch man and, uh, and a handy man to have around, so I expect you to steal a little. But don't get too greedy, you know, partner, he says in quotes. You got a big mouth. You know that brand? Someday somebody's going to close it for you, like forever. So hmm. I get the, the vibe that a lot of people got it in for, uh, yeah. for Mr. Boston Moran. He's, he's definitely the muscle here. Yeah. So, so later, as the uh, the show reaches its thrilling climax, we see uh, what is one of my favorite panels here. You know, uh, we see in the background climbing the big pole, you know, to the trapeze, you know, Boston brand, but just almost a tiny little dot against the spotlight as the entire like foreground of the panel is, you know, the uh, the ringmaster himself. You know, I was saying I really sort of admire Carmine Infantino's layouts in this. You know, this is one of my my key panels here. So. Ladies and gentlemen, we hear the uh, ringmaster say, the most devilishly dangerous and daring act in the history of aerial acrobatics, the man who nightly pits his very life against the fates, Dead Man. Let me turn the page. Scorning any net or other safety devices, Dead Man will now swing through 40 feet of empty, yawning space, alone and unaided. As now our perspective shifts, mm-hmm. right? The, uh, the ringmaster receives us a tiny dot in the distance as the, you know, camera eye has come around, you know, to, to Boston at the, the top of the platform as he thinks to himself, don't even blink your eyes, my friends. Who knows? You might be the lucky ones who finally see me miss. And uh, another favorite of mine, you know, Boston has dropped his cape as it flutters to the ground, sort of like snaking through the air, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a beautiful piece of... Uh, you know, Carmine. I really like the shading on this too. You know, maybe some credit to uh, to George Rousseau. So slowly, says our narration, the gleaming cape floats to the ground as Dead Man steps forward to begin his awesome act. The audience waits breathlessly, and then dot dot dot. Turn the page. Crack. You know, the entire panel, you know, turns red, and we just see, you know, the the form of Boston. You know, almost like. I wouldn't even call that, you know, spectral order, but he's colored all in yellow. So, you know, it's very stark against this, like, red background. And everything else, just sort of like, you know, from a color perspective, fades off in the distance. You know, the audience is, like, you know, completely white. Everything below, you know, we see the clowns, the horses or whatever, just done up in yellow. So your eye is just drawn to, you know, the the back of this fellow. So obviously the shot's coming from in front of him, mm-hmm. but we're seeing it almost from his perspective in a sense. You know, we're seeing him miss 
yeah. the, the trapeze bar and see all this below, you know, as a look on the, uh, the collected edition. Your, what you're looking at is better than what I have. Um, and actually the, the, the word crack, I didn't know what you were talking about because I have a green background with, with blue letters on oh, it. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. It really doesn't stand out at all. And, and the colors, uh, on Boston himself, yeah. they're fine, but, um, but the yellow. It doesn't. Yeah, yours. Yeah. Yours actually like really pops. Yeah, you know what I'll do is actually I, I think what I'll do this whole sequence like the two panels before this and this panel maybe I'll take both versions and put them up for comparison. Like on the oh my god on the Facebook page I was gonna say uh -huh. you know that's something now that we're back doing it we <laughs> I said we we're gonna update our Facebook page over the break or whatever we never did that so but we, we will like you know I, matter of fact maybe that'll give me impetus I'll start this and then backfill the ones we've missed or whatever because yeah this is just some beautiful artwork and it's nice to contrast it like you say yeah. With the, uh, the collected um so to resume our story you know like i say we follow the crack and you know boston falling um you know we suddenly see our perspective shift to the ground as uh, toby the clown who was ne was nearest to the body when it struck somebody get a cop says uh, toby <laughs> i'm sorry that's my clown voice i'm the law get a doctor says uh, you know our, our you know trooper from before Forget the doctor, Mr. Law. He's had it, says Toby. Oh, no, it can't be, says Lorna, you know, suddenly collapsing against Tiny. He, he can't be. He's not dead. He's not. Easy, Miss Lorna. But, but why, Tiny? Why a wonderful guy like him? I don't know, miss. Nobody knows, I guess. But suddenly somebody knows, as, uh, you know, we see Vashnu. Ramakushna knows. And perhaps this is the beginning of the special fate which is long-awaited Boston Brand. As uh, we fade out and fade into the next day, as we see, you know, our our circus carnies, you know, trudging their way to the to the graveyard. And our narration says, "A circus burial is never solemn. They all live too close to death for that." As, uh, you know, as we see our entourage, you sure got a beautiful day for it," says uh, you know the tall man. I guess <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, leave it to Boston. He wouldn't let it rain for his last show. The cops got a lead on the rifleman. Witnesses said he had a steel claw for a right hand. Oh, why don't they stop talking about it? Says Lorna. Easy, Miss Lorna. Says Tiny, trying to comfort her. I'll never forget you, Boston, honey. Never. She says, you know, crying as she's throwing roses onto his grave. And Tony, or, you know, Tiny's holding her. Neither will I, you think. Good riddance, says, uh, who's that, Heinrich? You know, thinking that. Um, oh, no, no, no. That, that must be the uh, ticket taker. Cause, yeah, Yeah, Heinrich's in the back there thinking, yeah, you were kicking me out, huh? Well, Brian, now you're gone and I'm still with the show. ha, 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 ha. So later, you know, the other's gone, and we see Tiny alone by the grave. I couldn't say this in front of Miss Lorna, but now I can. You was a rat, Mr. Boston. You lived like one, and you died the same. If you wasn't no rat, you'd never left her like this. What's she gonna do now? Who's she gonna turn to? And that goes for me, too. So, so long, you rat. Um, but while Tiny stands alone with his sorrow, let us turn back the clock to earlier in that terrible moment. You know, as we see Boston, you know, having missed the trapeze bar or whatever, thinking, ah, oh, my chest is on fire. I've been shot. As, uh, he hits the ground and suddenly everything takes on almost like a, uh, I would call it like Hitchcockian, you know, surreality. You know, mm -hmm. the, everything's like canted. He's in like a, a green spotlight. Yeah. Holy cow. I, I'm not even dead. I, I don't hurt. It can't be. A guy can't fall that far without a scratch. As uh, he looks up and what does he see? But. You know, Toby from before. Forget the doctor. He's had it. Are you kidding, Toby? D don't pull that cape over me. Quit joking. The, the crowd won't understand. 
Hey, Lorna, cut it out. I'm okay, he says, you know, because he sees Lorna mm-hmm. being comforted Upset. by Tiny. Yeah, I'm okay, I tell you. I'm alive. No, you're not, my son. Suddenly a spectral voice comes in. You died three minutes ago. Who said that? There's nobody here but Dora, the baby elephant. He says, looking up at, you know, an elephant at a complete, like, hor- like you know, vertical angle, you know, up on the, on the ramp or whatever, you know, just to heighten the, the whole, like, surreal nature of this. That is really bizarre. Yeah. I said, you are not alive, my son. You died three minutes ago. As he goes racing for the, you know, the, the tent door. I'm losing my mind. The, the, the elephant, it, it talked. It, it must have been the fall. It shook up my brains. I, I, I got to get some air. <laughs> <laughs> shook up his brains. Yeah. So. As, uh, as he, you know, goes outside the tent, you know, into the rain. Ah, that rain feels good. It's clear in my head. Hey, hey, that's one of Professor Quigley's trained mice. He says, looking over at a little mouse on a barrel there. I'd better get it before it escapes. But as he reaches for the mouse, my hand, it went right through it. I told you, my son, says the voice from before, you're not alive. There's no more substance to your body than there is to the west wind or the April mist. What's, what is, what is this? What's happening to me? Says Boston, lightning cracking behind him. Listen well, for I, Ramakushna, speak but once. Boston Brand, you shall have the power to walk among men until you have found the one who killed you. Are you crazy? If I can't hold a mouse in my hand, how can I grab a killer? Speak to me! Don't leave me like this! Help me! As he's like just suddenly alone. Very, very like, dramatic pose, right? Yeah, you know, the whole we panel. See from the back, you know, just, you know, torrential rain, you know, he's casting his eyes toward the heavens you know i I really dig this Uh, so apparently it's the next day because we see you know the spectral form of boston you know lurking over his own grave as you know there's tiny you know commiserating at it i still don't get it thinks boston how does this ramakushna expect me to square things with my killer ah look at poor tiny there the only one without brains enough to hate me (laughs) yeah i sure wish you could hear me tiny there's a few things i'd what as he touches Tiny and suddenly he goes like, you know, stiff as a board. When I touched him, he went, he went stiff, like a statue. His eyes don't move. Holy cow, Ramakushna gave me the touch of death. But no, no, he's alive. But it's as though he were frozen. And, and I feel something pulling me toward him. What's happening? As we see, you know, Boston and Tiny like suddenly like coming closer, closer, closer. And then beginning to merge. I, I'm entering his body. I'm merging right into it. It's like I'm going to live right inside a tiny. As yow, I am tiny. As we see Boston like in Tiny's body, like suddenly looking down at looking his at hands. Himself. Yeah, yeah. He's alive, but he's not conscious. So I've become his eyes, his ears, his mind. Is this the gift of Ramakushna? To live again in Tiny's body? No. So we do a close-up on Tiny. And this, what you're seeing here, this is going to be very, you know, um, signature look for, for, you know, when Boston possesses somebody. You're going to see like a glow around them. Okay. And that's you, the reader's key to like, oh, this To know who it is. Yeah, exactly. So he's saying, uh, no, Rama told me what this was about. I'm being given a chance to bring my own killer to book. And then it's over for me, for good. But what a chance. How many guys get a shot at the man who gunned him down? Me. Only me. I'm back from the grave. I'm borrowed time, but I'm going to love every second of the hunt. As we see, you know, uh, Boston as tiny tromping off into the night, you know, in, in the foreground, we see his grave there. What does it say? Uh, Boston brand 19. Can you read the date on that? 33? It's it very easy on mine. What's it say? 1933 to 1967. 67. So he's, what, he's supposed to be, what, he's supposed to be 34? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I put him a little bit older, but 34, that'll, that'll do. It was hard living back then. So, 
turn our page and once again you don't have this but so i get the very nice double page spread this was actually one of my favorite things in comics growing up you know like for cartoons that were like you know like long before you know i was actually watching them or whatever but it was kind of a neat peek into the past we see the uh, the saturday's superheroes on cbs mm-hmm. um this actually you know are in you know, volume one of our show, we did take a look at, you know, the, the Superman, you know, cartoon. And this season is actually, um, it's paired off. It's half and half. It's the Superman Aquaman hour of adventure. So you'll get like, you'll get, you know, maybe a, a two or three Superman cartoons, two or three Aquaman cartoons, but then single, like maybe five minute episodes of the flash, the green lantern, Hawkman, the Adam, the justice league and the teen Titans. So I'll tell you what, um, we will take a look at this to see if there's any magic in it or I'll track down the episodes. And, but then additionally, maybe this will be a nice lead into the Teen Titans also. Oh, okay, cool. an animated form first. And let's see what else we got here. Johnny Quest. You remember I used to watch that. Mm-hmm. With um, his dog. Yeah. This is, at, at, um, we talked before about the artist Alec Toth, who actually did some Eclipso work. He, this is like some of his claim to fame, you know, from animation, like the Herculoids and like, uh, um what is this is it just the hercules i thought it was it used to be like paired with like space ghosts and stuff like that but uh, anyway alex toth did a lot of the uh, design work for this uh shazan i don't know that it looks like a sort of like arabian nights thing um moby dick and the mighty mitor oh mighty mitor yeah he's almost like a a Cro-Magnon superhero. <laughs> i've seen that okay. once or twice or whatever but only like you know in syndication or like on cartoon network or something um, but yeah, but these these are super cool. And like as time goes on, you know, maybe we'll take a look at these, you know, one per year. Um, but uh, but for now, let us turn our page and get you know back into our story. You know, following uh, Mr. Boston Brand on his quest, as uh, suddenly he notices that glow mm-hmm. that I was pointing out. So apparently, it's not just a reader convenience. Hold it, Buster! He thinks to himself, what, "What kind of deal is this? How can I pass for a living man with this ghostly light around me?" Hey, excuse me, buddy," says a dude, you know, coming up. Oh, what? Uh, no, I don't smoke, he says, you know, to the guy holding out a cigarette. Oh, no, no, relax, Sam. You, you act like you just saw a ghost. <laughs> says, you know, Boston is tiny. <laughs> Listen to that kook laughing to himself, says the uh, the dude looking for a light, <laughs> beating feet out of there. Yeah. As Boston thinks, I'm normal, 100% normal to anybody looking at me. That's part of the gift, too. Now, let's go put it to use. As we get a, you know, super close-up on Boston's determined eyes. So, he thinks, Heinrich. He's a likely candidate for the job. I fired him an hour before I was shot. But what about the steel hook? They all said that rifleman had a steel... Oh, wait. There's Heinrich. And get a load of who he's keeping company with. He's, you know, peering through the window, apparently, of, you know, I guess Heinrich's trailer. As, mm. uh, we see him. Oh, he's dealing with the uh, the local lawman there. Yeah. As uh, Johnny Q. Law is counting off a couple, you know, hundies there. Saying, all right, Heinrich, here's the 50 grand. And here's your pound of snow, Ramsey. So that's it. You know, things Boston is tiny. Heinrich and the constable. I bet he's a phony cop, too. I gotta blow this whole thing wide open. Hold it. Why stick my nose in this? I've just got one job to do, and... Ah, skip it. I know I'm not gonna let those two creeps destroy Lorna's show. As, uh, you know, suddenly he, as tiny, gives a, you know, sort of karate chop, ripping a, a hole into, you know, Heinrich's tent. Tiny, what the... I came for the dream dust, Heinrich. You know, he says in Tiny's voice, obviously. The The what? You know, snow, poppy juice, opium, baby. So, little, <laughs> yeah, no, right. But uh, little, yeah, it sounds goofy, but a little bit of trivia. So, we were talking about the comics code. This, I believe, is the very first drug reference, you know, in DC Comics post code. Huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, this is sort of somewhat of a turning point, you know, as uh, 
You know, who told you about it, says Heine. You did, says Tiny. Who, you said snow, and what else sells for 50 grand a pound? Why, you dirty, says Heinrich, you know, trying to take a swing at Tiny. But, you know, Tiny, you know, intercepts it. as whoops-a-daisy, baby. Oof. He says, you know, hoisting Heinrich up into the air. Oh, there goes your partner out the back door. As, uh, you know, the cop goes running. But, you know, Boston is Tiny. Tosses Heinrich right into him. Come back, constable. This gig is just warming up. Oof. He says, you know. He is so, strong. <laughs> hits him. Um, so we turn the page and, you know, apparently the constable, you know, springing to his feet, you know. Okay, bull boy, we're closing your mouth the hard way, he says with a bang. Ugh, can't stop him, thinks Boston. But what do I care? You can't kill a dead man. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Tiny, tiny could die. I gotta save him. As he tries to do the sort of like back bend, I guess, you know, as Boston. But obviously the body's not quite, you know, as agile. Limber. Because I think it sort of, you know, grazes him, you know, and he knocks him out or whatever. The Heinrich and the constable, you know, lift up Tiny's body. Come on, anal trainer. We gotta drop him into the river fast. You bet, says Heinrich. That shot must have woke up the whole show. As, uh, you know, Boston as Tiny begins coming around. Ugh, just grazed my head, but enough impact to knock me out. What do I do now? Hmm, that, that thing that worked on Tiny, maybe? As uh, he gets the idea to, like, possess somebody else. And little by little, you know, we see the ghost of Boston arising from Tiny's body and popping right into the constable. It's working. I'm merging into the cop's body. I can do it with anybody's body. <laughs> hey, hey, Heinrich, says, you know, Boston, in the cop's body now. P- put him down for a minute. Actually, how would he even say? I got to make a decision. Like, so when Boston's possessing somebody, do I want to do that person's voice or do I want to do Boston's voice? I think it makes more sense to do Boston. And I'll just say as who's, the cop. Yeah. yeah, whose body is he? So, in? you know. Hey, Heinrich, put him down for a minute, you know, says Boston as the cop. See, that works well. <laughs> <laughs> what for, says Heinrich. Here's what for, he says, you know, giving him what for. <laughs> he hits him with a sock. <laughs> now to get back into Tiny's body, you know, so apparently, you know, between panels, he hops back into Tiny's body. Tiny, Tiny, what is it, says Lorna, rushing up. What's going on with Heinrich and the constable? Dope smuggling, Miss Lorna. Heinrich was picking it up in Mexico where the show spends a winner and then peddling it in every town on the circuit. How do you figure all that out? <laughs> no idea. So, uh, so later, I guess we see the cops, you know, leading away, you know, uh, the constable and Heinrich as, as the constable is like talking to him and say, you're crazy, I tell you. I didn't sock you. Because <laughs> you know, he doesn't have any memory. <laughs> right. Oh, tiny, says Lorna. If the cops had caught them, they'd have closed us down. But, but how did you figure it out? You mean a guy as dumb as me? Says, you know, Boston is tiny. Well, uh, well, Boston actually told me before he died. Ah, oh, Boston, now that he's gone, I need a friend like you more than ever. You won't ever leave me, will you, Tiny? Not a chance, Miss Lona, as Boston thinks. Tiny won't, but I'll have to. The day I find my killer, the end. As our narration is a final word saying, This is dead man, the spirit of one man, the body of others, moving from life to life to find the man who brought him death. Follow him in the strangest adventure series of them all. The end. As, uh, conversely, you know, we end on a Palisades amusement park ad, you know, whatever, <laughs> with a free Batman slide, you know, sort of shifting the mood. Actually, wait, I say conversely, but that ties into the circus theme, I guess, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. So, um, so, like I said, I mentioned that the book that you're reading mm-hmm. actually has a little uh, background piece, you know, uh, yep. written by Arnold Drake. So, um if, would you like me to read it to you, you know, just for posterity or whatever? And, sure. You know, um, do you have any initial thoughts, you know, on the story, um, you know, before I read the, uh, you know, the actual background of it? Anything strike you about it? Do you like it? Do you not like it? I have no idea how um, how Drake came up with the character. I can't imagine what it was. 
I mean, it's 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 unusual for him to be able to possess like or animate any anybody's body, you know, at, at any time. Yeah, it's a very cool idea. It's kind of wish. I like. I always thought as a child, very wish fulfillment. You know, like if you you could become anybody. You know, I want to become like you know the football star, or like an actor. You know, right. Bra- then, Brad Pitt or something. You know, like, yeah. And all you have to do is like just get close to that person. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think about like some of the like uh, we'll read the whatever maybe he gets into this I don't know but like you know Ramakrishna like obviously that's yeah Ramakrishna right and like Vishnu is like you know Vishnu (laughs) so I think like back in the 60s like the average Joe didn't have as much exposure to like world culture as we have now but Uh Arnold Drake probably knew it and probably like you know wanted to do a play on that not thinking that you know years later we'd look back on it and go like you know oh my god that's so simplistic yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um so this text feature, like I say, you know, in the beginning of the uh, the Dead Man collection, is by Arnold Drake, and it's entitled "How Dead Man Came to Life." And uh, Mr. Drake writes, fittingly, it began with a death. In 1967, DC Comics editor Larry Nadel had a fatal heart attack. Um, we've mentioned Larry Nadel on this show a couple times. He used to be in charge of like some of the humor titles that uh, Boltonoff took over, and mm-hmm. I think you know, and a couple other titles, you know, fell to different editors. Um, yeah, as indeed, you know, Drake writes that uh, his replacement on Strange Adventures was a freelancer, Jack Miller, a warm man who loved good books, fine cologne, and classy, if ultra-conservative, clothing. One title Jack inherited was Strange Adventures, an anthology book. Any book with a running character was a quote-unquote anthology. At that time, all anthologies were in trouble. Jack asked me to create a new character that might save the book. I said I like challenges. And uh, you and I would know from past experience that several times already Arnold Drake was, you know, called right. in as a... called in a, to save the title. Yeah, a pinch hitter or whatever, you know, like, or Stanley's monster. And I think even on, like, House of Secrets, you know, some of that reinvention of Mark Merlin was, you know, at the uh, uh, with the help of, uh, of Drake. Mm-hmm. Um, so this challenge wasn't new to me, you know, says Drake. In 1963, Murray Boltonoff was trying to save my greatest adventure and asked me for a new series. With an assist from good friend and fine comics writer Bob Haney, I had created the Doom Patrol. Writing the 42 original DP stories was an un- unalloyed joy. Murray gave me infinite freedom. He also gave me superb Italian artist Bruno Primiani. Without that freedom and Bruno's magnificent pen, the DP would not have become a cult classic. Jack asked how I intended to find a new series. I said I had no roadmap, but I knew whatever I invented would be pretty radical for DC. In the mid-1960s, most of DC's books still reflected the 1940s and 50s, so I said I'd start listening to the answer that was, quote-unquote, blown in the wind. <laughs> you know, so, so, yeah, very 60s. So, Jack's very pink cheeks became even pinker. He was excited at breaking new ground, but worried about the conservative views of DC management and the Comics Code Authority. I felt that the more we shook them up, the more we'd know we were on the right track. One wind blowing in the 60s was from the East. The search for enlightenment via Eastern mysticism. Mm. So I wanted a supernatural theme. A hero who was a dead man? Okay, but he must look like death. And who'd look that way in life? Someone courting death for a living with clothes to match. A circus aerialist in a skull and bones costume billed as dead man. Some Eastern deity empowers his spirit to search the earth for his murderer. And with that discovery, everything fell into line. Carmine Infantino, who shared Jack's office, was at his easel when I began my pitch. I took out a rough sketch of the character and opened with a cover blurb. The man who's just been murdered is our hero. His story begins one minute later. Jack was visibly shaken. Carmine whispered, wow. And the rest was easy until I said, we'll call him Dead Man. Jack said, not a chance. (laughs) I was intransigent. So was he. He must have seemed a weaken, though, because behind Jack's back, Carmine raised a fist in the air. 
that fist that said, don't let him blow your title. <laughs> so I fought for it <laughs> until Miller became determined to do the same. At a career point where he could name his own assignments, Carmine's decision to draw Dead Man number one was crucial. He humanized the death's head I'd created. He added a dramatic cowl and designed the D logo on his chest, which personally I think is fairly evocative of a certain other character. I don't know what you're talking about. Daredevil <laughs> has two D's. <laughs> it has two D's. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but Dead Man was near perfect, you know, writes Drake. Out of costume, Boston Brand was too handsome. I said, Carmine, this, been guy, this guy's been on his own since he was 12. By 14, he'd done every nasty, dangerous job in the circus. He was even a semi-pro boxer. You gotta bust his nose. Carmine smiled as his eraser and pencil broke Boston's nose, and now it was truly perfect. After that, Dead Man's life was extraordinary, particularly the spectacular explorations of Neil Adams, which we'll get into in very short order. Um, but for me, his essence was in that first meeting when I pitched the wind from the east and Carmine raised his fist and Miller got the courage to fight for his idea. Long live Dead Man. Ah, so fun. So yeah, as I say, you know, as time goes on, we will, you know, delve a little bit deeper into the, you know, the specific influences, you know, the film noir, the, uh, you know, um, specific, you know, Eastern references, um, a couple other things that, you know, haven't come into play yet, but the, uh, um, you know, he's on his search for his killer or whatever, and we've gotten a little bit of hint that, you know, he's got a hook for his hand, mm -hmm. you know, so obviously, you know, fairly, you know, evocative of a rather famous TV show. The Fugitive, The yeah. Fugitive, right, so, you know, and then that, that'll come more into play, and then the tail end of this arc, actually, um, as we'll see, I think, you know, pulls a little bit from um, a movie that you and I saw a long time ago called um, Lost Horizon, you know, where the um, the plane crashes, you know, in the, the uh, middle of the Himalayas or whatever, you know, and there's a sort of mystic society type thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, some of those elements will come in, but we'll take all that later, you know. For now, like I say, just kind of like a hard-boiled, you know, noir tale. Um, you know, and, and as I had said, you know, when we were, I was, you know, sort of thinking last time around, you know, when we were doing, you know, volume one of the show, you know, I was trying to hard press for like voices I would use, mm -hmm. um, reading Drake's description of like, you know, having a broken nose and being a former boxer, you know, firms up my decision to say that, yeah, I would like to pattern him on Mickey Rourke, you know, unfortunately I can't do a very good Mickey Rourke voice, but yeah, I mean, I'd like, you know, it would be a little more, you know, polished or whatever, but you know, a lot of voices in that, man. I mean, yeah. Tiny and you know what I do, like. Vashnu. Uh, well, Vashnu and, and. The cop. Um, yeah, but Ramakushna, not the least of which, right? Yeah, you know, really. Very sort of, uh, you know, calming spiritual voice, but uh, yeah, no, I very much look forward to this. Um, you know, what are your thoughts? You know, let's open it up to a little discussion here. It, it's interesting because I feel like uh, we've definitely gone a lot darker with the storyline, mm -hmm. and uh, but the characterization of, of the police officer because I didn't realize at first that they were going to make him like a dirty cop mm -hmm. or or a fake cop because you know you don't want to push too hard. At That's first. too funny, yeah. Because yeah. I was thinking about the code thing, right? Like, okay, they push the thing with drugs or whatever, but yeah, they had to say they had to explicitly say, oh yeah, he's probably a fake cop because yeah. you can't portray law officer. And yet they, they left it a question, yeah. you know, like hey, maybe he is a cop, but mm -hmm. then he gets arrested anyway, which still doesn't really answer if he was a real cop or not. Mm -hmm. But anyway, no, I mean, it's uh, a lot darker, a lot more intense than uh, than what we've seen before with the Silver Age. Mm. Um, any uh, any early ideas as to how the story's going to play out? Like I mentioned before, this is actually a story arc. You know, do you yeah. have any early suspects or hints about any characters or anything? Oh, uh, suspects. Uh, well, all right. They've already indicated that it's going to be somebody that we know already. So if they stick to that, then... I would go with probably the cat trainer. 
but I think overall, like uh, as far as the arc goes, I think we're going to see Dead Man uh, really exploring exploring like how how like society was in like the late sixties or however long he goes. Oh, you think the drug thing is like an early harbinger for like, you know, it's going to become like a, you know, an issue type thing. Like, you know, oh, now we're in like, you know, like, you know, uh, this this societal trouble or that thing or whatever. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't think that this is going to be the title where we see any expansion on uh, on women's roles. And I don't think this is going to have very many children in it, even though we're dealing with a circus. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Well, there's a lot of good guesses. I, I'm not going to give anything away. I want this story to unfold for you naturally, you know, so you could have... Uh, you know, the same sort of exposure that I had to it. Um, you know, I don't want to color your opinion by, you know, saying that, you know, like, this is one of my favorite stories or whatever growing up. But, you know, I, you know, you're older. So obviously, you know, you have a different perspective on it than I did when I was 14. Obviously, some of the things that might have appealed to me, you might think are like cheesy or hokey or whatever. But, um, you know, but we'll see how it goes. Okay. All right. Um so as we come to the end of this episode, you know, we're, we're, I want to, you know, revive, you know, our, the uh, the methodology for, you know, judging these shows. And for anybody who's joining for the first time, although I think it's odd that somebody randomly joined episode 29, you know, just because we're starting a new volume doesn't necessarily mean that when people find this, they're going to take a break in between these two. But, uh, but you know, if by chance you happen to this be your first episode, um, as I said, you know, midway through, the reason we call ourselves Parliament of Rooks is a reference to uh, a little like sub-narrative in, in one of the uh, uh, Neil Gaiman Sandman stories um, where Kane, the uh, uh, caretaker of the House of Mystery, um, tells a story about uh, rooks, which are a type of, you know, bird, mm-hmm. like crows or ravens or whatever. And in the story, he te- he tells about like, you know, a strange behavior that the uh, um, these birds do where they all would gather in a field around a single member of their flock and, you know, and for a couple hours or whatever, you know, this single member would just, you know, caw, 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 caw. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, you know, the birds would either like all fly away, including this member. Fight or flight. You know, or exactly fight. You know, they would all turn on this single member and like kill him. They would just peck him to death. Um, and what it was, you know, as Sandman itself is, you know, is a narrative for, or, or I'm sorry, a metaphor for storytelling. This also was a reflection of that. You know, what's happening is the center member of this, you know, flock of rooks or whatever is, or this parliament of rooks, I should say, collectively. Yes, you should. Is, uh, you know, telling a story and, you know, if they like it, you know, they all fly away and if they don't like it, they kill the bird. So in our show, what we've been doing is every time we read a story, I turn it over to Melanie to act as that parliament and, you know, basically cast judgment, you know, on the rook, which is our story. Um, so tonight's rook, you know, the initial story of Boston Brand Shall he be flying away or shall he be pecked to death to arise as a spectral <laughs> bird and possess other birds and take over pelicans and you know, <laughs> pigeons and stuff? Well, he's he's safe. He'll be flying away. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, it's a good hook, mm. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in seeing the arc and, and how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's, it's not too cheesy. Yeah. Well, then you are going to be very happy to know that in our next episode, you know, our, our second episode of Volume 2, um, we're going to have two stories of Dead Man. Oh, cool. All right. So uh, coming up next, we have An Eye for an Eye, you know, from Strange Adventures number 206, and What Makes a Corpse Cry 
from Strange Adventures 207, you know, so, and that should lead us then up to our Halloween episode, and, you know, hopefully, like I say, you know, we'll, we'll work on this, you know, getting it back into the, our regular rhythm of, you know, um, you know putting them out into, uh, you know, a weekly format, you know, and, but if not, and whatever, but, you know, we apologize in advance, you know, but I think, I think we'll be okay for at least, you know, three or four weeks or whatever before we, yeah. we miss a beat. Um, <laughs> so also getting back into the swing of things, we should probably, you know, revisit a lot of our, you know, online presences. Like I haven't been on Twitter in ages, but, uh, let's see if I remember all that. <laughs> so our website, you know, where we're going to post this episode and all of our episodes, and you can leave comments on all of them is, uh, tporpodcast.com. Um, we are on Facebook, you know, which I say hopefully I'll revive, you know, the, the concept of putting out, you know, uh, images in support of our episodes. And that would be facebook.com backslash TPOR podcast. Um, Twitter, we are at TPOR podcast, yeah. right? Um, you can write us, you know, if you have comments or suggestions or, you know, criticism or, you know, what have you. Uh, our email address is TPOR podcast at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to us or leave us reviews on, you know, iTunes or uh, Google Play or what else do we have? Podcastpedia, Stitcher, and, you know, a host of podcatchers, you know, up there. <laughs> we get, oh my God, I got to like, like school myself back up on how this works. We yeah. haven't done this in so long. Maybe log into some of those. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> All right. But, uh, but once again, you know, we want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, we hope you had a good time and we hope to see you here next time on the Parliament of Brooks podcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.